Alright, so Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11. Did everybody find it? Everybody find it okay in their Bibles? Okay, good. It's one of those ones where I was, I was, someone posted actually a few weeks ago, a pastor, and he says, turn your Bibles to Habakkuk and began reading immediately. And everybody's like, hey, wait a second, we don't even know where that book is. So hopefully you found it. Hopefully maybe you've been reading in anticipation of this series. I'm excited to share with you what the Lord's revealed to me through his word. Let's read together. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, he says these words, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted or twisted. Now the Lord responds to Habakkuk. This is a conversation that we're looking in on verse 5. The Lord says this, look among the nations and see, right? Have your eyes opened, wonder and be astounded. Hear this, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Now, who's the the Chaldeans? When we use that word, think of the Babylonian Empire, okay? The Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marked through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice is and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen presses proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the word of the Lord. We're entering into a new book, and so we have to do, uh, this is what I call some of the nerdy stuff up front. We've got to figure out, like, where is Habakkuk at in history? Because some of you probably don't know. Where is he in the timeline of Israel's history? He came before Jesus, so we know that. He's before Jesus. Uh, came into human existence. Jesus has existed eternally, but before Jesus took on flesh, so before Christ. So here's where we're at. We're going to start with Israel's history, but we're not going to go all the way back uh, to Adam and Eve or Abraham. We're going to start with the Exodus. It's a notable point in Israel's history. The Exodus is like the crucial redemptive event in the history of God's people, the Israelites. Uh, They were, in that event, delivered under the mighty hand of God through the leadership of a man named Moses. Yet the Israelites in that time frame, they, they didn't realize the blessing of God upon them, and they, they spoke out against God and God's leader, and they longed to go back to the land of slavery. They wandered the desert for 40 years until the unfaithful generation passed away. And then the Israelites, under the leadership of a man named Joshua, took the promised land and settled. Uh, from this point on in Scripture, they would begin a roller coaster ride of faithful and unfaithful generations in conjunction with faithful and unfaithful leaders at that time that were called judges. That's why we have a book in the Bible called Judges. They soon, uh, the judges weren't good enough for them. Uh, the direct leadership of God wasn't good enough for them. And so they soon longed to have a human king, much like the pagan nations that they interacted with that surrounded them. In their mind, God's direct leadership, I guess, just wasn't good enough for them. So they sought a human king, uh, and at this point, Saul, 
rises to leadership. He took leadership of the nation. Saul was, according to Scripture, he was kind of like the man's man. Like if you go to the gym and there's a dude hitting the bench press really hard, that's Saul. He was a tall guy. He was good looking, strong, powerful. He was a warrior. But eventually we learn in Scripture that his pride came before his love for God and he fell away seeking eventually to torment and kill his God-appointed successor, a man named David. Saul died on the battlefield along with his son Jonathan. Jonathan, in fact, was David's best friend. This made way for the leadership of David. David was the seeming runt of the family, but before you look down on him, I mean, the guy killed animals with his bare hands, so you haven't done that. You guys... You guys feed them out in the fields and, and sit up in a tree with a gun and wait for them to get fat and happy and then nail them, right? Okay, Saul did that kind of stuff, or uh, David did that kind of stuff with his bare hands. He killed a giant with a stone. So before you get puffed up, he wasn't that small. He wasn't that runty. He was a powerful leader. He too, he, he led the Israelites to this era of unprecedented prosperity and, and expansion. He struggled with sin, though. We find that. The Scripture is very real about this. It doesn't hide the sin of David. But he also gave us great examples of faith and confession and repentance. Just read the Psalms. They're littered with Psalms of David. Although he's known as a man after God's own heart, his sin would slant the nation in a negative direction under the leadership of his eventual successor and son, Solomon. Solomon, we know from the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisest man to ever live. And he continued to lead the nation in prosperity and expansion. And he also, he's notable because he spearheaded God's people in building a formal temple. Okay? The people of God had worshipped uh, the dwelling place of God, which was the tabernacle, which was just kind of a mobile tent. Now, Solomon led the, the building of a formal temple. But his, his penchant for satisfaction in the flesh, namely through relations with pagan women, led to his downfall. And ultimately, the nation, this is what happened, a unified nation divided into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was habitually led by, it just, the order is this, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. It just never gets better for them. Their unfaithfulness eventually leads to their destruction at the hand of the Assyrians, who were a world power at the time, who would eventually be overturned by the Babylonians or Chaldeans, as they say here, who are now on the scene when we're in Habakkuk as the premier world power. They dominate the world. They're the most powerful nation. The southern kingdom now, so the, the northern kingdom perished. The southern kingdom endured for a little bit longer because their order of kings was more like bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king. You get the picture? So they had a few good kings in there, but mostly bad. In fact, the king just prior to Habakkuk's era led the nation to a time of repentance and return to the law. Uh, That was King Josiah. But his son, Jehoiahaz, did evil in the sight of the Lord and only reigned for three months before being taken captive. And his brother, Jehoiakim, replaced Jehoiahaz, and he unfortunately also was evil. And that's basically kind of the doorstep that we're on with Habakkuk. This is the situation in which Habakkuk speaks to the southern kingdom has become incredibly sinful and violent, and it's just not a good scene. Other prophets speak to the issues in this time frame. Uh, Jeremiah is considered a contemporary of Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Nahum. 
There's great injustice and evil among the people of the southern kingdom. We see idol worship and sin dominates the landscape. Injustice, violence, iniquity. God's perfect law is disregarded. It says it's perverted, it's twisted. And Judah is on this great precipice. They're on the cliffside of a hard lesson from Yahweh. It is in this situation that Habakkuk cries out these words, How long, O Lord? Or we can say this, Why, God? Why is this going on? That's the question that we face this morning, and it's our main idea. Our main idea is this. The faithful must trust the Lord enough to ask that question, Why? Or how long? And also with that, trust in the Lord's good plan. Trust in the Lord's good plan. Hey, I'm going to share with you, all of you, a, a, a deep, dark secret. Okay, So this is confession time for Pastor Keith. I'm terrible at waiting to both give and receive gifts. All right, If I buy my wife an anniversary gift and I do it two weeks out, man, she's getting it two weeks before anniversary because I just can't wait to give it to her. And I'm also terrible at waiting to open my gifts. I want to know what it is. I want to know what you're giving me. When I was about uh, seven or eight years old, I kind of forgot my dad was going to be in the room this morning, so he may be finding out some news. It was Christmas time, and uh, the, it was, I must, am assuming, a few weeks out. I can't remember the exact timeline. The, the gifts were all wrapped up. Uh, my dad can, can attest to this. My mom bought too much stuff for us at Christmas time, and so gifts are all wrapped under the tree. And she was really picky. All the wrapping paper had to match, and all the bows had to match, and everything. It needed to look cute, right? So there's something that, an odd-shaped, a few odd-shaped presents under the tree. Man, I was just dying to know what was in those presents. And so uh, my middle brother, who was a little bit more mischievous than I am, five years older, we're trying to figure out what the presents are. And I can remember him saying, Keith, let me teach you the way to figure out what these presents are. And so... He took me over to the tree, and he picked up one of his, which was a box, and he kind of got his fingers in a pinching motion and went over to the corner and just kind of pinched away a little bit of the wrapping paper and held it to the light to see if he could make out what it was. And so I picked up my little weird-looking wrapped present. It was an odd shape, and I pinched off one of the corners and looked, and I couldn't figure out. heard Mom's footsteps going, but threw it under the tree and then acted like we were doing nothing. Well, the anticipation, the the guessing killed, was killing me the next day. So I, again, went over and looked around by myself this time, picked up that present and peeled back a little bit more. Looked, couldn't figure it out, heard footsteps, threw it back under. The next day, again, peeled back a little bit more. I mean, this thing by Christmas Day looked like a rat had gotten a hold of the corners and nodded away. Now, I'll tell you what it was. I know you guys are dying to know what the present was, but... I finally got enough of the wrapping paper back that I made out a white G. And coming out of that white G was this red, white, and blue stripes. Would you believe what it was? A G.I. Joe, baby. They don't make them like they used to. Kind of killed the, the excitement of opening them up on Christmas Day. I can't remember if my parents said anything, but I, I knew what I was getting just a few short days before Christmas morning. Now, why do I share this story with you? Because this, as I read through Habakkuk, man, we're like verses 1 through 11, it's like, man, this is depressing. Where are we going? I've got, would you with me this morning, reach out your hands, kind of make a pinching motion. Okay, we're going to pinch back 
some of the wrapping paper off the present because there's some good stuff in chapter 2 in Habakkuk. And so we're going to jump ahead a little bit because I can't wait. So pinch the corners off the present with me this one. This is a beautiful verse that's often repeated in the New Testament by Paul, the author of Hebrews. Habakkuk 2.4, hear these words, they're beautiful. It says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. Here, now we're pinching away. We're seeing the present underneath. This is what Habakkuk says. But the righteous shall live, what? By his faith. By his trust. By his confidence in the Lord. This particular voice, uh, or verse Fast forwarding into the New Testament, probably 650, 700 years later, uh, was a crucial part of Paul's argument uh, to Christians in the Rome, uh, the church in Rome, and then also in Galatia. The author of Hebrews also edifies Jewish Christians with Habakkuk's spirit-inspired words, which we'll read a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 10. The righteous shall live by faith is a crucial verse to understanding this conversation that Habakkuk is having with the Lord. Again, we could substitute that word faith with the word trust or confidence. And that which we have not seen is just such an important attitude of the Christian in the face of adversity and difficult circumstances. Who here has gone through difficult circumstances? Okay, This is a word from the Lord to you through Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by his or her faith. The other verse, okay, reach out your hands again. We're pinching another corner off. Okay? Pinch another corner off that present. Habakkuk 2.14, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful promise of God. It says, for the earth, I want to say it this way, will be, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Hear this, how massive this is, as the waters cover the sea. A few years ago, I went up and visited uh, my friend who lives in northern Michigan in a little town called Alpena, which is on the shoreline of Lake Huron, we're driving out in the morning, and you look across Lake Huron, which isn't the ocean, but it's big. it looks as big as the ocean, and you couldn't see it as far as the eyes could see water. That's what it's going to be like. The earth will be filled with a knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So with these two encouraging verses as our, our backdrop, pinching the corners off the present, knowing where we're heading, we ask these three questions this morning. Question number one, do I have enough faith to ask why? Do I have enough faith to ask why? Verses 2 to 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. Hear this, for the wicked, this is the situation, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted or twisted. We have to grasp the situation here. Habakkuk is lamenting the state of affairs among his own people. In this opening section, he's distressed because he's looking around the people of God and he's seeing Injustice and iniquity and sin and the law of God and justice is being twisted and perverted. I'm so glad that stuff doesn't happen anymore. He's lamenting the state of affairs in his own people in Judah, the southern kingdom. It's not a lament of foreign invaders, but rather a cry out for justice among Habakkuk's own. 
The righteous among the Jews are being oppressed by their own people. The language there, it reminds us of, of a ham. If you, if you sew, if you took maybe a real shiny penny and, and you put it in the middle of that fabric and wrapped it all the way around and then sewed it all the way in, that's the picture we get of the wicked oppressing the, white, the righteous. They're absolutely surrounded. They're hemmed in. It's like, if, like a straight jacket. You've seen a straight jacket where you just held back and you can do nothing about it. The language reminded me, there's a lot of times in Old Testament Scripture where it says, how long, how long, David does so in Psalm 13, 1-3, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And so here's the question for you, Christian. Habakkuk, a man of great faith. King David, a man after God's own heart. Another man of great faith. They both cry out, what to the Lord? How long or why do you have enough faith to ask that question? Do you have enough faith in in the relationship you have with the Eternal Father to also seek the Lord for answers? Not to question His goodness, but to seek out what His plan is. To cry out, how long? How many of us look at the current state of affairs in our neighborhoods or or our community or our state or our nation and cry out, How long, O Lord, are you going to allow this to go on? So do you have enough faith to ask why? And here's the second part now. Do you have trust in the Lord's good plan? Do you have enough faith to ask why, but also trust what the Lord is going to reveal to me? Because Habakkuk is going to get some tough news. On the heels of, of asking, do I have enough faith to ask why, is am I going to trust Him as He reveals His plan? In the, in the passage, the Lord now answers. We're just going to look at verses 5 to 6. The rest of the passage is a description of how bad the Babylonians are. We don't need to hit all that. Okay? They're bad dudes, alright? Now, here is Yahweh, or the Lord's answer to Habakkuk. It says, look among the nations and see, right? Open your eyes. Wonder and be astounded, be astonished. Underline this next verse, if you can. It says, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. <laughs> you don't believe what I'm about ready to do. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to, sweet, to seize dwellings not their own. Okay, let's break this down in like real people speak. Bullet County. We're going to talk Bullet County here. So if it's Bullet County, God's coming to Habakkuk, but his name's really going to be Buck. God's like, Buck, take a seat. You're not going to believe this. You cry out for justice and mercy, deliverance of the righteous. You'll be astonished at what I have in store. This is what I'm really going to do. I'm going to right the wrongs through an unbelievable plan, right? God said, you're going to be astounded. I'm going to allow, this is what God's going to allow. This is the sovereignty of God. He's so in control that He can use evil nations to discipline uh, His children, and it's still good. It all works out for good. I'm, I'm going to allow an evil nation to rise up and discipline my people. And basically saying, just... Buck, sit back and wait and see 
what I'm going to do. Right? But Buck's like, but that's not what I had in mind. You ever been there when you ask God why? You see the Lord's answer, you're like, wait, God, this was not the plan that I had in mind. Get caught off guard by the answer. We're going we're to get more to Habakkuk's response next week. For now, we're going to fast forward about 650, 700 years. The author of Hebrews, I think he shed some light on this conversation. Okay, yesterday, Friday night and Saturday, it was a good, good couple games for Kentucky football. Right? If you're a UK fan, who, they knocked off a big team in the South yesterday. Who's, what team was that? Florida? Never heard of them. So, good day for UK football. Friday night, U of L, the team we actually should be rooting for because they're like right here. No one like that. Sorry. They played a team that was clearly better than them, which most of them are better than U of L. Uh, UCF and beat them. I fell asleep at halftime, woke up in the morning, looked at the score, and was like, oh, UofL won that game. So it was a good good weekend for Kentucky football. And so it's football season. We're kicking off the NFL today. So I want you to kind of get your football coach talk in your head, right? The, the, the motivational football coach. Think in terms of the motivational football coach. Like coach, It's Coach Lombardi time, right? Coach Vince Lombardi time. That's the voice I hear. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who the human author of Hebrews is. It was inspired by the Spirit. That's all we know. So we have, we can insert the coach voice right here, right? And he is exhorting these Jewish Christians in this way. He says this in Hebrews 10, 35. Uh, we'll go all the way into chapter 11, verse 1. Man, if you, no, I'm just going to tell you this. This is for free, okay? As you're doing your devotions this week, read Hebrews chapter 11 if you want to be encouraged call the hall of faith that's what we call it and just you see old testament saint after old testament saint just being faithful to the lord okay back into the text so coach speak here this is coach lombardi speaking therefore do not throw away your confidence right be confident what 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 were some other words that we subbed in for we subbed confidence in for faith trust okay don't throw away your trust don't throw away your faith don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance. What does that mean? Keep going. Keep moving. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's a positive statement that it's going to happen. Okay, now we got to. So just picture this, right? You got. Sorry, for those of you who are non-sports people, we're going to use some sports illustrations here. you got the offense and the defense. you got the big hogs up front. That's the offensive line, the defensive line. They're pushing on each other. It's Man, it's the fourth quarter, two-minute drill. The offense needs to get down. They need to get a touchdown. Those big hogs up front are pressing in. It rained all day. It's muddy. Okay, the defensive line, their heels are dug in. They're getting pushed back. Okay, it's go time, right? It's go time. Listen to the voice of the coach. says, for yet a little while... The coming one will come and will not delay. He says this. This sounds familiar. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, right? We're digging in our heels. We're getting pushed back. It seems like we're losing. He says, my soul has no pleasure in him. Again, Co- Coach Lombardi voice. Coach Lombardi voice says this. But we are, hear this, Christian. This is who you are. But we are not those who shrink back. 
We are not those who shrink back. My soul, sorry, I lost my place, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We don't shrink back. We dig in our feet by the power of God's Spirit within us, and we stand up that offensive guard, use a little swim move, get back to the quarterback, and we got a sack in the fourth quarter, game over. says this, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is beautiful. The author is going to give us a definition of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hear this, the conviction of things not seen. Do you think Habakkuk needs a little bit of that right now? Who in here needs a little bit of that right now? A little bit of faith. Just a little bit of trust. Just a little bit of confidence. This is where we have to go back to our, our guiding verses from Habakkuk 2. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Are you, here's the question of the morning, are you going to take God at His word? Do you believe what He says? Are you going to live in light of the exhortation that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, even if your present situation absolutely stinks? The conviction of things not seen. You see, it's easy to trust and follow God when things are going well. The true test of faith is, are you going to continue to trust Him and have confidence in Him when everything's falling apart? This is the heart of Habakkuk. It's also the, the heart of our Savior, Jesus. Okay, we, we see Jesus in types and shadows in this lament of Habakkuk and the justice of God the Father. Jesus, in His perfection, was also hemmed in. He was cornered by the wicked. The violent, destructive forces of the world. He was betrayed by one of His own, one of His own disciples for money. He did nothing wrong. He's the only person who's truly righteous that's ever walked the face of the earth. And yet, this is what he did, family. He bore the full weight of every sin ever committed. So then, question number three. Do I have, a, do I have faith in the victory of the cross? Do I have faith in the victory of the cross? Now, you may be thinking, like, what in the world does Jesus have to do with Habakkuk? Everything? We, we like to quote us a little bit of Charles Spurgeon around here. He was a preacher in the 1800s in London. It's kind of a mess over there. The Industrial Revolution had made everything a mess. And his church was a beacon of hope, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And, and Spurgeon helped orphans and widows and preached the gospel. And he raised up young men to, to preach the Word of God and to preach it with power and passion. And he, informing these young men, he says, this instruction to them, Preach you Christ, and Christ, and Christ, and nothing else but Christ. So here we go. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? It makes, let's think about the cross just logically. It makes no logical sense that God would allow His only begotten Son to suffer 
on behalf of sinners or his enemies. Would you give your own child, your own flesh and blood, to die for your enemy? I can't say that I would. But God did. The only truly righteous person to ever grace the earth with his presence would literally manifest Habakkuk 1.4, for the wicked surround the righteous. His own followers betrayed him. His own people that he came to save, most of them would not follow him. His own family called him crazy. The nation he lived in crucified him. Listen to the agonizing words of Jesus on his road to victory. Matthew 26, 36-39. We get just the humanity of Jesus in this passage. The, the grief and the sorrow that grips his soul. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The weight of the world on his shoulders. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. I'm, he's saying, I'm so sad I could die. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, okay, the weight of the world, what happens to him? He falls. He fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, hear these words, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, this is a powerful lesson, not as I will, but as you will. Father, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Sorrow fills the very soul of the Lord. His frail human body gives out under the weight of His inevitable calling. He knows the sure plan of the Lord. He knows where this is headed. As God stated in Habakkuk 1.5, this reminds me so much of what's going on here. Like, would you believe this work? For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told would anybody believe that the Son of God would come and die and be murdered on this horrible display of injustice, the cross? The unbelievable work of the cross brings this statement in Habakkuk to its climax, the pinnacle, the top of the mountain. The peak of all of history is God's redemptive plan crashing right here at the cross and then followed by this, the resurrection where Jesus in His perfection deals with the wickedness of humanity. But instead of doing this, instead of uh, listening to the taunts of the people and just asking the angels to take Him off of the cross, instead of extinguishing His enemies, in His love, did you hear that? In His love, He gives up His own life. He walks the road that we deserve to walk before you get prideful. It was our sin that held Him there. And nearing death, he cried out to the Father in heaven, reminiscent of the saints of the Old Testament. Why God? He says this in Matthew 27, 46. Okay, I'm going to get loud because it's the only way that you can read this. It says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a, a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Hear this word, Why? Why have you forsaken me, Father? And Jesus, in his frail human body, gave up his spirit and he died. The echoes of Habakkuk, right? 
he would not believe if told that the Son of God would die on a cross. The redemptive plan of God is truly unbelievable, isn't it? The Savior had to die for His enemies in order that the glory of God would be known. And so that eventually, here's the promise we're looking to, right? We pinched off the corners of the present. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's an amazing promise. And we can... I want to call you to this. We can trust in this unbelievable plan because the cross gives way to this. Jesus didn't stay dead. The cross gives way to the victory of Jesus over sin and death because at this point, right, we say this every year on Good Friday, it's only Friday, what? But Sunday's coming. And on that third day, the earth trembled and shook and the Spirit of the Lord came upon the dead body of Jesus Right, the cloths were, were stripped away from his body. I can imagine he braced his body with new strength, the strength of his resurrection body, and he stood up. And the stone rolled away from the grave, and Jesus came forth in the dawn of the morning, sunbeams breaking through the horizon. Family, he's alive! And because of Jesus' victory on Calvary, and his victory over sin and death and his resurrection, hear this, This is the conclusion. We can, family, right? Vince Lombardi voice. We can place our confidence, trust, faith in that which we have not seen and persevere, that is, endure, strive, run the race, family, with confidence in the Lord. And we can hold fast to this beautiful promise of Scripture found in Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Romans 8.28. I know you got this one memorized. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Look to the cross of victory. Jesus is alive, family. Amen.